And the story begins. Alright. Okay, so what are we studying here? We. You guys. Are studying. <laughs> oh, the, uh, the dormant soul. Okay, the dormant soul. The dormant love. So Sorry, in, this one. Yeah, dormant love. In our, in our, well, in our context, in our chapter, they're kind of synonymous. Last week we asked the question, how could our patriarchs inherit love to us? You inherit specific, you know, general traits. But to say they inherited love to God, they inherited passion. So now we're passionate people. It could be passion toward God, it could be passion towards others. But to say that they gave us love, they, they gave us a soul. That soul loves God. And we said that that soul they gave us what they gave us was Chachma, wisdom. Wisdom means the ability to be open to something larger than ourselves, as we'll soon explore. But sometimes Absolutely only, only indirectly so, though, right? Sometimes right. indirectly, but, but it's there. Right. Everybody has it. And we, we said wisdom, Chachma, is the only trait where God can truly be rest. Because... No thought can grasp God. God is unattainable through thought. So you have to get him through something which is beyond thought. We have to peek beyond that, beyond our understanding. And uh, one thing we said on page 216, in the middle paragraph. There's a toddler in the house. So the middle paragraph, page 216, it says, So it turns out that regardless of what kind of Jew you may be, however knowledgeable or unknowledgeable we may be, the infinite light of God is present in the Chachma component of the soul. Because Chachma is that humility, is that openness, and that component of Chachma together with God's light present in it, so here's the key here. Dissipates throughout the entire soul to every component within it, energizing your soul at all levels from head to foot. Chachma is an intellectual trait. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the mind. It's the part of being open-minded means being wise, which enables us to be open to God. But it spreads from head to foot because when we truly tap into this, it's not just a life outlook. It's actually, it actually impacts our behavior. So it's not just in the head. I'm not just Jewish in, in my head. I don't just think like a Jew. I don't just feel like a Jew. But ultimately, it goes to our feet. I act like a Jew. And it takes me to shul, takes me where I need to go, takes me to do the mitzvahs that are required of me, that are needed of me. And that's really the ultimate purpose of Chachma, the ultimate purpose of why we're trying to develop, develop this soul, we're trying to uncover this dormant love, is not just so we can feel the love, but so that feeling that love can motivate action, because that's what it all boils down to. Let's look on page 211, in the beginning of this chapter. The beginning of this chapter laid out the goals of this chapter. Um, 2.11, the third line from the top, starts with nevertheless. Nevertheless, despite the failure of your meditation efforts, it still remains true that this thing is very much within reach with you. This thing meaning that relationship with God, to carefully observe all of the mitzvahs of the Torah, including the study of Torah, which is equal to them all. Here's the key in your mouth and in your heart, literally. So it becomes not just something that we say, but something that we feel. From the genuine, genuine depths of your heart with reverence and love. Ultimately, the point in developing feelings is not just to be satisfied with the feelings themselves, but it's for the feelings to actually take us somewhere. Because if it's just feelings, then we feel good about our Judaism, and then now what? I felt good, but then it becomes more about me. And then that love becomes... As we'll soon we'll see we'll see later in chapter thirty five of Tanya, if we get satisfied with our feelings, 
So now our feelings aren't motivating our relationship with God, it's obstructing them. It's obstructing the relationship with God. It gets in the way because I feel good, now I don't need to do anything because I feel good about my Judaism. But here we're not at that point yet. We're not that much in love yet. <laughs> right? By the time we get to chapter 35, we will be. At this point, we're just trying to uncover that dormant love. And that love is there in order to get us somewhere. Let's look at text one. An excerpt uh, on our sheets here. It's an excerpt from Lakuti Torah. Lakuti Torah is a compilation of discourses that were um, orated by the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. And here's a short excerpt. Who wants to be a reader? Mike? And a person becomes inspired with love to the Creator. However, he should not remain in that state without doing anything about it, as if the purpose is to merely feel a bit of love. The main purpose is to bring God down to the lower realms. This is the purpose of creation. So we can't get lost in the feelings. The whole point in Tanya is to help us get in touch with our feelings, develop our feelings. But it's not supposed to stop there. Virtuous and inheritance. Instead of something that we created. Well, yeah, because it's something we're trying to reveal. But that feeling that we're trying to reveal has to get us somewhere. Has to motivate. It's just the, is there to, to motivate. Oh, you should say it's, it's not the ends, it's, it's the means. It's the beginning. It, it, yeah. Exactly. It's the means. And by the way, this is a very healthy model for interpersonal relationships. When feelings are the end, not the means, the relationship becomes very self-centered. How does this relationship make me feel? Whereas when it's the means, it's how can my feelings improve this relationship? So that's in essence what we're saying here. Our feelings center around the relationship. The relationship with God does not center around our feelings. And that's why if a person feels good about putting on tefillin, feels good about putting on lighting the Shabbos candles, but doesn't actually do it, it doesn't count. It doesn't help. But if you don't feel good about putting on tefillin, and you're not passionate about lighting Shabbos candles, but you do it anyways, it counts. It counts. Because ultimately it's the action. Um, later, that will fake it till you. Fake it, to, fake it till you make it. Later in Tanya, in chapter 40, he compares love and fear, feelings, um, the Zohar, work on Kabbalah, compares feelings to wings. To what? Wings. Oh. Because the feelings will take the body, it takes the burden, helps the wings, takes the burden, helps it soar, off, soar higher. The feelings help our divine service soar. Now according to Halacha, when they used to bring offerings in the base of Mikdash on the altar, they would bring a korban. So you bring a bird. And the bird has to be a whole bird. You can't bring half a bird, right? It has to be a whole live bird. If you bring a bird with no wings, it's still considered still a kosher bird. bird. Yeah. It's still a bird. If you have action with no passion, with no wings, still action, you did what you needed to do. It's just not going to soar in the same way. But if you bring a pair of wings with no bird, <laughs> God, you, you have my heart, but you don't have my action, not kosher. It doesn't work, right? And it's the same thing going back to interpersonal relationships. You have strong feelings for someone, but there's nothing that's, it doesn't lead to anything anything practical. It ends up being about how we feel and being about us. Um, back in our context, where we have this hidden soul, where our love comes from, in essence, that's really what our faith is. I believe in God because of this soul. I can feel my faith because of this soul. According to many halachic authorities, there is no mitzvah to believe in God. The mitzvah is to know God. God can't tell you to believe in Him because you have no choice. You have a soul. You can't choose to believe in Him. You do believe in Him. You can choose to internalize that belief. You can choose to take that faith and, and, and um, do something with it, have an impact ourselves in a very practical way but whether I actually believe it's not a, it's not a real choice it's a choice whether I 
agree with what I believe, <laughs> if, I, if I agree with that feeling, or if I'm going to create resistance, I'm going to fight with it. This is the source of many debates. Yes, definitely. <laughs> what is this word, mazal? A, a mazal is like the... It basically refers to the soul. Mazal tov? Like a ma mazal means a, a person's mazal. Their per luck side? Yeah, but in this context it means like their soul. Hmm. The root of the soul. The root oh, of the soul. Oh, I just kept breathing. There we go. <laughs> okay, any thoughts, questions? Good. Nobody disagrees. Can we move this book? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm I, can smell the, I can smell the chocolate like, it's just coming straight at me. I put it on my plate, but I'm afraid to eat it. Don't eat it. It's so good. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's on the plate. Even if it's there, it's, it's still bad. I'm, I'm out of calories for today, and yet I put it on a plate in front of me. Maybe no, you're going to take it home and have it. You did this to taste that, do you know that? Yes, I'm here to test you. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing I, I find hard to resist when they bring it to preschool. So good. It is. It's really too good. For being store one, then. Is there any more questions? Okay, so page 217. Let, let's explore what this Chachma is. Oh, this is cool. What? But it says that the mazel literally sees and that there's no way of deviating from God and communion places subliminally to the conscious mind. Good, good. Let's, let's talk about that. Where is this? 213. 213. Rabbi Shner translates the term mazalos to mean the root of the soul. Right there. Mm-hmm. So, so chachma is the part, is the openness to... Contain God to contain this mazel, to house, to host this mazel, to host this soul. And in the middle of that paragraph there, the mazel literally sees that there's no way of deviating from God. According to Kabbalah, Chachma is very much associated with sight and understanding, which is a step below Chachma because it's confining an idea, not being open to it, but trying to process it in your own way. It's kind of the opposite of Chachma. An open-minded person, you can't be open-minded at the same time while you're trying to understand. First get the idea, then you'll try to understand. Right? But to do both, you're just not going to get it because you're stuck in your way of understanding. Um, you know, very often when you study Talmud, in the original, with no translation or anything, there's no punctuation in the Talmud. Every time I study it. <laughs> there's no, there's no punctuation in the Talmud. So the way you know if something's a, a question, you know, you know, you know, it, the way you know there's a question coming up or an answer, is just the words that are used. Certain words are there indicate that a question is being asked, and some certain words, and if you're so sure that a question's being asked, but a question is not really being asked. So you have your way of understanding it, but that's not the true way. You're not really properly getting it. But if you clear your head, okay, let me read this with an open mind. Now you can understand it. If we can approach God with an open mind, an open heart, not that this is what God is, and let's try to cram him in my box. No, there's a true, there's a certain objective truth out there that we're trying to connect with, and we're open to that. So, so um, Chachma is associated with seeing. Bina, understanding, is associated with hearing. Let's look at text 2 on our sheets here. Text 2 is an excerpt from Sharha Amuna, The Gate of Faith, authored by the Altar Rebbe, the author of the Tanya's son. These are discourses um, authored by him. Who wants to be our volunteer? Uh, I can do. Go for it. Understanding Bina is represented by hearing and wisdom. Hachma is represented by sight. One cannot compare hearing to seeing, even if the only, even if the one relays what he saw directly to a listener. Hearing will not do justice to explain what has been seen, for when one sees, they perceive the, the essence. Similarly, there is a big difference between understanding and wisdom. When one understands 
They grasp what they perceive about a particular item, as defined by the limitations of their own mind. But one does not perceive the item itself, because he does not see it, he just knows about it. However, with wisdom one sees the truth as it is in a single moment, whereas if it were to be explained, it would take many hours and days with much elaboration. So a picture is worth a thousand words, essentially. Right? Somebody wants to describe an experience that they had, there's so many details they can go, but if they can just go back in time and take you with them, they don't, they don't have to say anything. You see, you see it. You get it, right? You say, you had to be there. I can't explain it. You had to be there. From a Chachma perspective, that's our experience of God. We experience God. We see it. Our soul sees it. We saw it at Mount Sinai, but, but not just back in the day. Our, our soul sees it. Our soul experiences it. And when we connect to that level, there's nothing to really explain because there's a certain level of clarity. From a Chachma perspective, there's no doubts. There's just clarity. It's all clear. It's all... Chachma in other places is referred to as light. Because it's just... It's clear. It's an infinite light. Right? It's, an, it's, an infinite, it's containing God's infinite light. It's, just, there's, you know, it's dark in the room, but when I tap into that, I can see. There's nothing to... You don't have to explain. You don't have to talk me... Talk, it in, talk me into it. From a Bina perspective, you have to explain it to me. And I have to agree with it. Which makes faith a lot more difficult. Traditionally, or not traditionally, but it's, it's a lot easier in a sense to have faith if you're not an intellectual. An intellectual person, usually atheists are intellectuals. People that are struggling with faith are usually smart, intelligent intellectuals because they're not open to something bigger because they're understanding, they're processing and they have to see one big, they can't see the bigger picture but just take a step back, be open and let's see the bigger picture I'm a Jew, I have a soul, my soul is experiencing it and we can feel that experience like we said from head to toe, it can, head to feet, it can, it can impact our whole existence I've heard atheists say, uh, I, I believe in science. That's exactly so they have faith. There was, there was a comedian yeah. who says, who? <laughs> this comedian says, who's crazier? The guy who believes in a God he doesn't see or the guy who gets offended by a God he doesn't believe in? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> this is why this, and this one speaks to me, the, why the blessed infinite light can be expressed, expressed there in Hakma because no thought can grasp the infinite light therefore it is best captured by your openness so here it says the cognitive and, in other words no thought can grasp him so if you want to grasp him you have to go up to a place where there's no thought just stop thinking it's and believe right. and believe hmm? right? and, yeah yeah just <laughs> close up and by the way that's often why at a Fabring and We'll, we'll make a lachaim. Like a whole bottle. A whole bottle. Some, some, <laughs> people, need, some people need a whole bottle. <laughs> some, because sometimes when we're just too analytical, we're not getting anywhere. We're trying to experience the soul. And you take a lachaim, and, and not to overdo it, obviously, and to get drunk and to get rowdy. That's not, God forbid. But to, but to remove our judgment from each other, from ourselves from existence is stop analyzing, shut off the mind, and turn on the heart, turn on the soul. We, we do that very well at Simcha Torah. And, and, yeah, exactly. And by the way, kids, kids don't say l'chaim. Kids don't have alcohol. They don't need it. Children aren't so analytical. Children are easygoing. Children have strong faith in God because their mind isn't, they're not cynical. The older we become, the more cynical we become, the more l'chaim we need. <laughs> but there's reason to become cynical sometimes the, no, the, the, but that's the point there's reason Chachma takes us to a place which is beyond reason right in other words exactly and that's that's why often people drink their problems away they just want to 
no. So Tanya's trying to tell us how to do this without having to resort, resort to alcohol. Why do they say that is why all Jews, even women, do women are Jews. Yes, that's why I told you to read it. I read it, but it's magic. Well, because when Tanya was written, they didn't receive any formal education, just like other uneducated people. In other words, what makes us passionate about Judaism is not what we know, isn't our knowledge. It's what we believe. It, 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 it's our innate faith. It's not knowledge. And even in a time where education was genderized, and when education... That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> when education... These days were um, gender neutral. Everybody's supposed to study Torah. And Torah is available for everybody to study. But there was a time where, where Torah study was genderized. There was a time where Torah study, by the way, was also exclusive to the wealthy. And there were very few scholars. And that's kind of why the Baal Shem Tov came. Judaism very much became, how Jewish are you? How much do you know? And Tanya came and reframed the whole thing. How Jewish are you? There's no such thing. You're, you're all Jews. You're, you're Jewish. You have this soul. It, it doesn't matter what you know. It's irrelevant. Um, it, it's so irrelevant that, I mean, you see all the time, people that don't know the first thing about Judaism, but they're just so proud to be Jewish. I'm sure we could think of stories ourselves or perhaps people that we've known where we felt proud to be Jewish, and it wasn't because we appreciated God's greatness, and we appreciated the knowledge and the, and the cut. It was just a feeling that came out of, a feeling that was unexplainable. Somebody just told me a story. Um, this is a rabbi in, I'm on a story chat. What's that chat with stories? People just share stories, and this guy is a rabbi in, a Chabad rabbi in Panama. And he said he was just blowing shofar for this lady who hasn't been involved in her Judaism in so many years. And out of nowhere, she just started crying. He said, what, what's wrong? She was just, there was a certain feeling that woke up and aroused emotion. But it wasn't because she thought about, it wasn't, uh, you skip the thought process. Because it's deeper than that. It's deeper than thought. A number of years ago, this is probably, this might be 10 years ago already, probably eight, nine years ago, um, it was Sukkot, Sukkot, it was in Tarzana, and we were driving around with our Sukkomobile. You guys, have you guys seen a Sukkomobile? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen your Sukkomobile, but I've seen a Sukkomobile. You've seen a Sukkomobile. So we were driving with a Sukkomobile, and we used to go in, in front of this supermarket, it was a kosher supermarket, and there was a bakery next door. On one, it was like a strip mall. One end there was a kosher supermarket, one end was a kosher bakery, and tons of Jews getting their chalas right before the chag, and we would, um, we, we would shake the lulav with them, make the blessing with them, invite them into the sukkah, and there was this bar right outside, right next to the kosher bakery. And I overhear them talking, these people in front, saying... What's that giant asparagus, that guy? <laughs> there, there was a Twitter. I'm going to interrupt the story for a great story. <laughs> Sorry if I'm driving. Take, but there was this Twitter thing going around. That this guy writes, New York City is the craziest place in the world. Some guy with a giant asparagus just asked me if I was Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm standing there with my giant asparagus, and I hear them. I overhear them. They didn't think I heard them. So What's that giant asparagus? So some of them said, one, one guy said, oh, one of them told me on his way to synagogue about their holiday of Sukkot. It was me that told him. But <laughs> 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 With your giant asparagus. This lady that's with them says, she was in, she, she says, yeah, I remember I used to do this as a kid. My ears perk up. I gave away that I was eavesdropping. I said, so you're Jewish. She says, yeah. I said, let's do the mitzvah. She says, I don't know. I'd rather not. It's been too long. And Let's do it. This is the real you. Let's do it. She was hesitant. Her group of friends who weren't Jewish 
urged her to do it. Do it, do it, do it. She steps up, she does it. She takes the lulav, she takes the esrog, she makes the blessing. She closes her eyes and she just started crying. Just tears coming from her eyes. She said, this is my, this is mine, this is my heritage. What motivated that, those feelings, what brought out that emotion, that love for Judaism, wasn't her understanding for the beauty of Judaism. There's beautiful um, ways to explain Judaism. There's a lot of drashot, right? A lot of great speeches, a lot of great ideas, a lot of beautiful explanations that you could give for the lulav. But that's not what inspired her. What inspired her was her. This was just who she was. It's who we all are. And it's not about how we understand and how we think and how we feel. It's letting go of all of that and just being open to, some, to a deeper part of ourselves. When we see, when we experience, there's nothing to really, there's nobody to really argue with. Somebody who has this level of faith, which we all do, and we all feel it at certain times, somebody who's experiencing that at that moment will do really bad in a debate with an atheist. <laughs> because he, the atheist will be coming from an intellectual perspective, and he's coming from a deeper perspective, a faith perspective. But Tanya reframed the idea of faith. Faith conventionally means... I don't know, so I believe. There's something I can't know, and my only choice is to have faith. What we're saying here is faith means I'm convinced. I have such conviction and certainty. But it's not because I understand. and It's not because it's rational. It's because of I, I experienced it. So if you experienced something, what was your most recent experience? Something random. When Rosh Hashanah. Blew, when Laura blew the shofar last night. Okay, so you experienced Laura blowing the shofar last night. I'm not sure why, though, but... <laughs> it was, I, she was doing it to show her kids that she could. Okay, fine. It wasn't to hear the shofar. Okay, yeah, 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 no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just kidding. But I'd never seen it before. I'd never seen a woman do it before. So you last night experienced Laura blowing the shofar to show her kids about the shofar. I can try to talk you out of that and say, it doesn't really make sense that you experienced that because women don't generally blow shofar, so I don't think women, I, I don't think she did. That I argument, exactly, you were there, that argument's going nowhere, right? Good that you know that. When somebody, <laughs> when somebody talks to us about our relationship with God and tries to talk us out of it because it doesn't make sense, but I'm experiencing it. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean there's no God? What do you mean God is irrelevant? What do you mean Judaism is archaic? What do you mean the mitzvahs don't matter? I'm there. I'm experiencing it. There's, not, there's nothing to really... There, there is no debate. Let's take a look at text 3. Text 3 is an excerpt from a Hasidic discourse, a mimer of the Rebbe, which was said in 1952. Um, and it gets into the, there's two ways to approach God corresponding to the two approaches that we've been going through in Tanya right now we're going through the faith approach right chapter 18 and onward but chapter 17 and backward was the more intellectual approach the mind was the heart and we have to try to develop feelings and these are both very important approaches one is an intellectual approach and that's going to be a debate and one is a faith approach, and over there, there's nothing to really argue about. Who would like to be our reader for text three? Mike? And whoever catches the grammar mistakes, because I just translated it, <laughs> wins. <laughs> there are two ways the godly soul toils in its interaction with the animal soul. With an antagonistic approach or a pleasant approach. The antagonistic approach is based on reason and intellect. For example, getting into a dialogue and debate with the animal soul and explaining to him that a life of godliness is in their best interest. 
Since this is coming from a rational perspective, this leaves room for the animal soul to impose its view. The pleasant approach does not entail entering any, di any dialogue or debate, rather, uh, dialogue or debate, rather he approaches with insistence, with a strong will and pleasure in a life of godliness, because it cannot be any other way. This approach is generally done by increasing in positive action, increasing light, without even leaving space for negativity and klipa in the first place, as, as if they were a role. Because they are relevant. So it's not fighting with Klippa. It's not fighting with the animal soul. I don't, I don't need to fight with the animal soul. The animal soul's opinion just doesn't matter. It's like, you know, the, for me, when I see a... You know, I saw one, I mean, many times, where a, a Christian missionary would approach me and, and start babbling about how I'm going to go to hell if I don't accept it. And it's like, I'm not offended, and I don't even need to start bringing proofs from Isaiah 53 that they mistranslated and that they're not understanding it right. It's irrelevant. Like, I just, I'm so convinced in my Judaism and comfortable in my Judaism that it, it, it's just so irrelevant what, what they have to offer. What our animal soul has to offer is just so irrelevant. We don't have to even debate with it. There's nothing to even talk about. And by the way, not, I'm not one to give parenting advice. To give parenting advice. But a, a lot of people... Will. You can give advice. <laughs> I could tell you how to parent up until three and a half months. <laughs> but it, this is very similar to a lot of what a lot of people say about parenting. Do we argue with kids or we tell them how it is? With confidence. It depends on how old it, they are. It depends how old they are. And same thing with the animal soul. There's times where it's appropriate. There's, there's times where it's appropriate to debate with the animal soul, to engage our mind, because our mind does need to be engaged in this war. But there's times where it's appropriate to just. There's nothing to even argue. This is just the way it is. There's times in 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 the Gemara, in the Talmud, where there was a halachic debate. And the general rule was, if you don't respond to the debate, that means you're agreeing, you're conceding. But it says when Rav, one of the rabbis, his name was Rav, when he would be quiet, it was known that the halacha was like him. That the halacha, he wasn't conceding, the halacha follows him, his view. Because in this situation, his quietness, his silence is not consent. His silence is, I don't need to argue with you. <laughs> I just, there's just no need. It's, yeah. Right? There's no need to argue with the animal soul. We're so comfortable with our Judaism. We're experiencing it. God is so clear, it's so real to us. There's no debate. It just is. This is just the way it is. We just tell the animal soul this is the way, and it's a lot more pleasant. It's not an antagonistic approach, it's a pleasant approach, because just... Animal soul can't, you're not really leaving room for it, so there's really, it, it's really a lot more peaceful. Okay. An advantage to this approach this peaceful approach over the antagonistic approach. There's two advantages. The antagonistic approach, I'm trying to logically explain why Judaism is a good life to live to my animal soul and not just a life of indulgence. And from that perspective, so number one, like we said, we're giving room for the animal soul to retaliate and perhaps give an even better argument. But number two, even if I do have a sound argument, how long is that going to last for? It doesn't last that long. Because it's rational and I could change my mind. But if it's not my mind that's making this decision, it's a deeper part of myself that can't change. My mind changes. I could see things different ways, right? My soul doesn't change. So if my faith is not coming from my mind, it's coming from my soul, 
Nothing can shake it. Nothing. So this is interesting because you know, part, part of previous discussions have led us to think the brain rules over the heart. But, but it's a fight. The brain, in order for the brain to the rule brain the heart. The brain final decision. But we're not talking about the heart. Huh? But we're not talking about the heart. We're talking about the soul. Well, okay. Um, right? Is it the soul is, is deeper than the heart, right? It's, even if your heart stops beating, your soul still exists, right? Speaking of soul. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had to do that. I, really huh? I don't know. Tell me My I'm piece wrong. is still sitting there. I feel obligated to make everybody comfortable. I've, I've been looking at this wrong. piece for <laughs> 30 minutes. been eyeing that piece, huh? Yeah. We're not learning enough time. <laughs> Hopefully the rule's not coming down the side of my 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 animals are winning. You know, you always wish that something that. Is that what this is? Is this a test? This is a test. test. How, real, how real is Tanya to us? <laughs> okay. Keep talking. Okay, sorry, what were you saying? Well, okay, so, so Lynn, you've got a good point. Uh, Th there is an advantage to both. In other words, the, the Altered Ed in the first 17 chapters did give us this antagonistic approach, told us about the fight, the war, between the animal and godly soul, and that the mind is trying to control the heart, which inev inevitably the heart will try to control the mind. It's a debate, it's a fight. And that is an important part of our service to God. But over here, we're taking a whole new perspective. We're saying, forget the debate. And let's just skip the mind for now. Because right now, I'm, just, I'm, I'm overthinking it. I'm taking <laughs> I need the long, taking the long short it's, way. In a sense, it's, it. a, it's a different path. We're not running. No, the, the other one, you find it, then it's a short, long one. Well. <laughs> So, I mean, this will, this will be a quick burst of inspiration. It will be more consistent as well, in a sense. Because my soul is always there. Is my mind always there? Does my mind always appreciate the beauty of God, of Judaism? Depends what I ate for breakfast, right? It depends which side of the bed I woke up on. It depends how much in my hand. But does my soul always appreciate it? And the same? Yeah. And that's why in the verse that he brings to illustrate this, he says on the, on the bottom of page 217, For the simpleton believes everything, and the sensible one uses his understanding. In order to have faith in God, it's not about being understanding. It's be simple, right? A pashatayid, as we say. A simple Jew. The Baal Shem Tov used to say that the simplicity of a Jew, when a Jew is just simple in his relationship with God, strip away the way, the mind, the heart, and just a Jew, that connects to the simplicity of God, the essence of God. There, there's times where it's a, there's times where it's appropriate to not intellectualize. Because you, you kind of hindering your. Your, your simple connection anyway. Now when we afterwards, when we are firm in our simple connection and then intellectualize, then it makes it stronger. Exactly. You get the best yes. of both worlds. I think you're already connected. Exactly. When the foundation is faith, so now you can intellectualize, you can make sense of your faith, which is what we call knowledge, internalizing the faith. And understanding why it's a name. Exactly. And giving you energy to Exactly. There we go. That that that's what class over. No, that's <laughs> that, that's what it all is. The student becomes the teacher. That's what it's all about. No, you oh, like, didn't. Really, but, but she like feels if it. If you read it, you got it. You, you got it. probably So look on the on the. <laughs> let's look on to it. What it says about faith, though. Yeah. Faith is a foolish path for something that could could be grasped by the mind. And from from a intellectual perspective, faith is foolish. You're not using the mind. But it's appropriate to not use the mind. It's okay to be foolish. There's so much contradiction. So much Foolishness is a holy thing. Yeah, but it's like it makes you think that you don't know anything. Like every time you think you got it, and then it tells you you're stupid. 
Yeah. Just, yeah. just wait till it, chapter it, yeah. 30. Uh, it, 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 hum, it humbles us. It's a very humbling experience. So let's look at the second bold paragraph on 218. The third paragraph on the page, second bold paragraph. As the verse states, I was a fool with not without knowledge. I was an animal toward you. Yet I was always with you. In other words, it's precisely because I was a fool and an animal, because I'm not, I'm using my faith, not my, re, my ability to reason, that I'm always with you. I'm always with God. When do I have consistency in my relationship with God? When I don't overthink it. When I don't overthink it. When I can just, when I can just, yeah, just let go. Just let go. Should I go to shul? Should I not go? Just let go and do it. Should I do this? Should I just let go. If we let go, there's no room for the animal soul. You had a different, uh, kind of same explanation for when, um, when that fight with the city was happening. And then one day, Rabbi Rezink just said, just let go. And finally everything just came together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when, when we let go, that's chachmah. That's wise. That's the wisdom. That's that's opening up to all sorts of blessings. Besides, it's a clarity and perspective. And that's why, you know, what motivates this relationship, you know, even the wisest people, the smartest people, when their faith is tested, and they pass. What motivated? What 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 kept them going wasn't their understanding. Blind faith. Even they have faith. So you could take the most knowledgeable scholar in Judaism who knows the whole Talmud at the tip of his fingers and when he, a gun is held to his, faith, to his face, God forbid, and they say, deny God, and he doesn't. What motivates that wasn't his knowledge of the Talmud and his under, philosophical understanding that there must be a God so I have to... No. Totally skip that. Skip the mind. I'm just a Jew. Just a Jew. That's all it is. You could be the greatest scholar, and we should all aspire to learn more and more. It's important to learn more, but we could be the most simple person or everything in between. And we all have this commonality. I'm a Jew. When I think I told you this story, but when I was applying for birthright, they called me up, they give you a, they do this phone interview, and they say they ask me all sorts of questions. And they say, what type of Judaism do you affiliate with? What are you talking about? Since when does Judaism have types? So are you conservative? Are you orthodox? Reform? Conservatox. Conservatox. Reconstructionist. Reconstructionist. New Ageist. Humanitarianist. What, what type of Jew are you? Buddhist. Buddhist. <laughs> Christian, not a lot of one. What, what type of Jew are you? Because it's not a Jew. A Jew. What? Because Buddhism is not a religion. He's Jewish and he practices Buddhism. Not, Sounds like not, something you find on Halloween. It's, it's, not, not, a, not, a, not a Judas? <laughs> so, so what I told him, I said, I, uh, Sir, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just a Jew. <laughs> I mean, I don't really label myself. I'm, I, I try my best. Try my best to do to you know to do Jewish things the best I could. But I'm just a Jew. And he was just so it, it opened his mind. He's like, whoa, never thought about it that way. <laughs> he was reading a, a questionnaire, right? What box do I check for this guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a great new box. Other. He <laughs> threw him off his script. <laughs> and by the way, if we look later on in chapter 32. 32 is Lamed Bet, which spells Lev, heart. That's the heart of Tanya. This is how we develop love and passion, feeling towards one another, respect towards one another. If we can strip away the labels and just be ourselves, it's like when you say L'chaim, there's less judgment, there's less inhibition. You're getting rid of the mind, you're getting rid of the apprehension. Just let it all go and let the soul shine. We have to just let go. It's like when my mother asked Rabbi Rolly, she said, I, I wasn't raised like you. I, he goes, you weren't Jewish? Yeah. She says, no, I just, I wasn't so orthodox or that. He goes, he goes I'm Jewish, you're Jewish, you know? Exactly. She was like putting him in a box. 
Exactly. You know, Rabbi Manus Friedman said, you know, he, he ran his school for, um, for many years. I think he still runs in Minnesota. It was a seminary for girls who didn't have a formal, not a background. Every Jew has a Jewish background, right? They didn't have a formal Jewish education. And he gets a call from a mother once. This girl comes home and she's lighting Shabbos candles and doing all these Jewish things. And she, she calls out, she calls him up and starts screaming at him. What did you do to my daughter? She's getting all involved in Judaism and what you're indoctrinating her. And he says, one second. Aren't you Jewish? She says, yeah. So, did you give birth to her? Yeah. So what do I have to do with this? <laughs> you gave birth to her. You made her Jewish, not me. <laughs> What does this have to do with me? Good answer, huh? <laughs> He's the one that came and spoke, right? Takes no yeah. responsibility. <laughs> I take no responsibility for your daughter being Jewish. She was born that way, and I, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry you don't like. That. <laughs> it's good that he didn't answer that with a question. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, this is really very much connected with Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. You go to the most secular Jewish community in the world, Tel Aviv. Not a car on the road. Everybody's in shul. Why? Because they're Jews. Because they're Jews. You know, they, they, I don't know if it's a true story, but it wouldn't surprise me if it is. It probably is a true story. It probably happens every year. Where there's this guy comes from Naila, Yom Kippur. Secular Israeli, and he's not studying, setting foot in shul, staying in the lobby. The rabbi comes out, why don't you come and join us? He said, that's not religious stuff, it's not for me. So what are you doing here? It's Yom Kippur, what do you mean? <laughs> Where else should I be on Yom Kippur if not the shul, right? It's Yom Kippur, we go to shul, there's no... There's no um, there's no question, there's no alternative. It can't be any other way. I don't care for I go to Shul, that's it. it. There's no other option. Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur has five prayers. Generally, there's three prayers throughout the day. There's the Mariv, the evening prayer, Shachris, the morning prayer, Mincha, the afternoon prayer. On Shabbos, we, have, we that, so that corresponds to three levels of the soul. The Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, which we discussed earlier in chapter something, three. Which is basically the, the, the behavior of the soul, the passion of the soul, the intellect of the soul. Our conscious soul. On Shabbos, there's the will of the soul. Because it's the fourth prayer, there's the Musaf. On Yom Kippur, there's the fifth level of the soul. The essence of the soul, which is referred to in Hebrew as Yechida. Yom Kippur, there's five prayers because there's the, there's the Ilah, which is number five. And that's when the Yechida, the essence of the soul, comes out. Yechida means one, the part of the soul that doesn't just want God. The part of the soul that is one with God. And like it says, he alludes to this in Tanya over here. On, on page 219, the second paragraph. So rather, they give, out their, they, they give up their lives without any mental appreciation or careful thinking. Here's the key, as if it was simply impossible to denounce the one God. The motivation for, to connect to God, to connect to our Judaism, is not because I want it. Because I am it. And if I am it, there's no other option. It can't be any other way. I don't want to be a good Jew. I am a Jew. I don't want to have a relationship with God. I'm one with God. I can't denounce God because that's denouncing myself and it just doesn't make sense. It won't work. It can't be any other way. A Jew can't say, it's not that he wants to go to Shul on Yom Kippur. Often they don't. Right? We, why do all the Jews choose the hardest day to go to Shul? <laughs> where there's no food. They could choose Simchas Torah where there's alcohol and there's food and there's Kiddush and there's dancing and there's excitement. But they choose the hardest because there's that soul. And it can't be any other way. And by the way, this is even true halachically. According to halacha, there's a law brought in halacha in the, in the Talmud and in Shulchan Aruch. They used to have, um, they would have these lamps with, can, with, with a wick. 
and that was their they didn't have wax candles for the most part but they would have like these little lamps there was a wick like like our Hanukkah menorahs right and you're not supposed to read near that lamp on Shabbos there's a concern you may try to get a brighter flame and tip the candle a little bit and you're going to be make, creating a bigger fire on Shabbos which is a prohibition so there's a rabbinic prohibition don't read near the fire because you may try to tip the fire and make the fire bigger is that the that's the, the whole thing about not using it for light? Is this, this idea? Um, yeah, yeah. That's the whole... Well, it depends. It depends on the type of... With a wax candle, it's not really as much of a concern. With light bulbs, it's certainly but not a concern. For the well, so for the menorah, it's, the menorah is a different issue. That, that's because it's meant for light. It's not meant for... I mean, it's meant for the... There's, a, there's two exceptions. There's several exceptions brought in halacha. When can you read next to the candle? So if you're reading with someone else, because you'll stop each other. But another exception, if it's not Shabbos, it's Yom Kippur. And Halacha says a Jew wouldn't sin on Yom Kippur. A Jew is extra careful on Yom Kippur. And the soul is out on Yom Kippur. I can't separate myself from God on Yom Kippur. Because I'm a piece of God on Yom Kippur. And this is something we can connect to on a daily basis if we... If Take some time to just take this in every day. A minute before we daven, a minute when we wake up in the morning. Think about this. Think about just letting go and being, I'm a Jew. It's my story and I'm sticking to it. We didn't get to read the last one. Oh. It's too late. That's the story. You have to read it. The last one is, is from the Sefer HaChinuch. Sefer HaChinuch is a book that goes through all, it's an explanation on all the 613 mitzvahs in order. This is Mitzvah 25. And he discusses the mitzvah of faith. And he says, the content of this belief, I brought it because it's in context to what we were saying, is that he fixed in his soul that such is the truth, and that a change of this in any way be impossible. Faith means, not that I don't know, so I'll believe, but it means I have a conviction. And it can't be any other way. But, but then he goes on to say, and if he's asked about it, he'll respond that his heart believes it. And, and he'll say to change it? What does that mean? He cannot change it. It's just he can't. part of him. It's just who he is. I, 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 this is the gun to the head thing you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Even if they're going to kill him, it's just... It, it's just not, it can't be any other way. 